Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How are you, Jill? Good. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. It's been a little while since we've done a normal episode. We had a bunch of fashion month stuff, and then I was out sick for a little bit, and it's been a while since we've just done a normal Week in Review episode. Regularly scheduled programming. I know. I'm excited to have us back. (laughs) Me, me too. And we've got a fun episode. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. We're going to start with Sephora and how the insane rainfall in New York City last week uh, forced them to cancel one day of their Sephora event, um, which caused a lot of chaos. Uh, we'll talk about a bunch of brands who are IPOing or talking about going public or rumored to go public in the next year or so. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about Coach starting to sell on Amazon and some some movement happening with Amazon fashion, which I think is just interesting. Um, but let's start with Sephora. So this was technically last week, but it was at the end of last week, and we didn't get to talk about it on the podcast, I think. Um, but Friday, so one week from when this episode comes out, there was an insane amount of rainfall in New York City. It was so it was so bad that my car literally flooded. Uh, which sucked, but it was really it was really crazy. It was also the first day of Sephora, which is Sephora's big annual event. Um, it was going to be a two-day thing and two sessions on each day, and they had to cancel the first day uh, because the weather was so bad, and they kind of canceled it a little bit last minute. I think there's probably no good time to do it, but uh, a lot of people were very unhappy with the abruptness of the cancellation and that they had paid $370 for a ticket and then like basically half the event was canceled. Um, I kind of think they didn't have a choice. Like it was really bad that day. The rain really, really was like exceptional. Um, but yeah, it caused a lot of uh, uh, heartache for people who had flown, you know, from other continents just to be here for Sephora and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. I don't know. What's your take on that, Joe? We talked about it at the time, you know, just the two of us, but I'm curious if you've thought more about that whole situation. Yeah, I'm of the mindset that they didn't have a choice, like the city called a state of emergency. (laughs) Yeah, I think it would be irresponsible to hold this event. Um, And it was kind of it was good for me to see. I mean, from my algorithm and my feeds that like, people were just, I mean, understanding like they weren't like, come on, Sephora. Like they weren't blaming Sephora. Um, they were just like, what a bummer. And what a hot ticket. You're right. People flew in. You put this in your weekend briefing. Somebody flew in from Guatemala. It w- the transparency around um, the disappointment and the course of events. I think they canceled it 30 minutes ahead of the start of day one. Um, but yeah, the people... Everybody got their gift bag. People who were on site, I guess they were there for the first panel or something. Some people did get their gift bag. So you got to see if they had a gold tier ticket, they got like a $900 worth of of product or something. So you got to see everything they got. And I think, I mean, that kind of glossed things over or made people feel better that they got to walk away with all this, all these goods. And pe- we know how people love the free stuff. Um, but hot tickets, somebody at our, within our company was like, I really want to take my daughter. <laughs> Can you get me tickets? I want to, I will pay for them. I, they're just sold out and I'm just, I can't get them. And this is so hurtful. My daughter really wants to go. Um, and I'm like, I'm not that powerful. I'm I would have loved to help. (laughs) But um, yeah, the first time that they had their live IRL 
event in two years. It, w- it had gone virtual. Um, and it, the first time in New York, and they're going to do more of these, which we got to talk about what, what this means for all the sponsors, because I have my opinions about what I think they'll do. Yeah. Okay. So well, one other th- thought I had is that, um, you know, in terms of the timing of it and canceling 30 minutes before, if anyone is to blame, um, I think it's a, it's a little sketchy to me that the city called a state of emergency so late when they definitely knew way ahead of time how bad their rain was going to be. Uh, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of that that early COVID era where people were like not wanting to cancel stuff, but then it was increasingly becoming clear that like it's not just going to blow over. You know, it kind of is that same thing of like maybe maybe it'll be fine. Maybe we don't have to cancel because like once you cancel, you can't then 20 minutes later uncancel. You know, it's it's canceled. Um, so it, it kind of reminded me of some of those decisions that brands were making around then of you know, canceling conferences and panels, um, going virtual. Luckily, I think a lot of brands have experience now with virtual events that they didn't have before because of two or three years of having to do that. So um, anyway, that's my thought on like the, you know, the decision to cancel. But I hadn't really thought much about the sponsors. I know you mentioned that a couple of days ago when we talked about it. What What are your thoughts on how they handled that? Yeah, to me, I think that it will, uh, if it's not already built into like contracts, because there are a lot of these are consumer events. They These brands are on site. They're setting up activations, little booths. Um, there were a lot of like, um, like high-tech things happening, a virtual uh, human type thing giving activation or recommendations. There were, um, anyway, big brands on site. NARS, Milk Makeup, Charlotte Tilbury, um, Pat McGrath. Woo! Um, but... The, the word on the street is like these booths, if it was a multi-brand booth, brands were paying like, or activation, brands were paying $5,000. Um, they were paying up to $40,000 to have a 20 by 20 square foot booth and also wow. a main stage master, cla- master class, which that's a big thing. Um, but that's a lot of money. So um, they're yeah. doing more of these. The Tomorrow, when this podcast airs, there will be their first um, Paris-based Sephora. Um, and I was watching some TikToks to try to get some some scoop on what's happening in Paris. Um, all I saw, which I didn't really realize, that Sephora's largest store, according to, according to the TikTokers, is in um, Paris. And, and it does. It looks like a mall. It has like a red carpet when you walk in like a runway. Um, it's very cool. Um, but they also have more planned for 2024. So there's a, in my head, a lot of these things may like just roll over and say, you want to be part of next event and it'll be kind of, I don't know, handled that way. But at the same time, you wrote about the ticket holders and, um, Mm -hmm. Gosh, they paid hundreds of dollars, like um, different tiers yeah. up to three sixty nine. There was a very low tier, people who could watch virtual, like that was in the double digits. Um, yeah. So they got reimbursed. Is the word on the street? They got yeah their their gift bag and reimbursed. So I mean, woo. <laughs> that's pretty. <laughs> pretty yeah, nice. That's pretty good. And the the three hundred seventy dollar figure that I said I think is the highest tier ticket. So I so lots of people paid less than that. Um, yeah, and I think one other thing I want to say about it is, and this is like the bummer part of the conversation, uh, extreme weather events are unfortunately like likely going to keep, you know, continue to be common and more common uh, unless we seriously change some stuff around our climate change response. Um, 
sorry to be that guy, but like I I think brands need to kind of like and you know, humanity in general needs to be more prepared for things like this. Like New York City does not have good drainage system. It's like it's not a very porous city. So when it rains really hard, the rain just stays. You know, it can't really soak through the concrete. Um, so, you know, if you're doing a, oh, I, and also I read that part of the reason the rainfall was, was, or the flooding was bad was partially due to rainfall, but also coastal flooding at the same time. It was like a super moon. So the tide was really high. Um, there was a bunch of stuff that kind of like all um, was like a conflux of things. But uh, th- if I were planning long-term stuff like new stores or whatever, I would definitely be cautious about building things in like coastal cities, you know, which sucks because I love I've always lived on the East Coast and I love it. But like it's unfortunately more volatile than ever. And the weather is probably going to keep being insane. So I'm sure this is not going to be the last, you know, fashion or beauty event that gets canceled due to extreme weather and makes a bunch of people mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, I'm in the Midwest and there could be a tornado at any moment. <laughs> so, That's true. So, yeah. You've got your own stuff to worry out about. Yeah. Out there. And so I, I'm with you. And as more of these weather issues and just like worldly freak accidents happen, like God, things have been so weird lately. Um, and as more activations, experiential events pop up in the beauty space, there's Pop Sugar has one that I went to in New York called Play, and um, there's Ipsy does this, Goop does this. There's BeautyCon that came back under new ownership this year. Um, so yeah, it'll change contracts. I'm sure it'll change like insurance. I don't know all the things that go into it. Um, just with people being more yeah. cautious. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let's talk about our next topic. So this is kind of just like a collection of things, but in the last week. Um, I have seen a lot of fashion brands either announce that they're going to go public or there's like strong rumors that they're going to go public in the next year or so. I'm actually working on a story about this right now, but I thought it's worth talking about since it's still kind of fresh. Um, But just this week, I saw Viore, Birkenstock and Golden Goose are all, you know, announced or or were rumored to be going public. I think Birkenstock is the only one that officially said it. And then the other two are sort of like strongly rumored from like Reuters and Bloomberg and stuff. Um, But yeah, I just I, I feel like the IPO market was kind of cool for a couple of years, not as many brands going public. And now it seems like it's really revving up um, Birkenstock, since they're the one that kind of officially announced it had the most detail. They're seeking, uh, I think, a nine billion dollar valuation or something like that. And there's a lot of anticipation around the IPO. LVMH already like indicated that it would buy, you know, a couple hundred million dollars worth of that. So um yeah, I, I think that could be a big one. And then Golden Goose, I think, is planning to list in Milan and Viore in the U.S. both sometime next year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got some thoughts on this, but I'll throw it over to you, Joe. What do you make of the IPO craze happening? Yeah, I'm guilty. I forgot we were going to talk about Golden Goose, too. Anyway, I was focusing very much on Viore and Birkenstock. Um, but That's fine. We can talk about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the stock market, it's been very erratic, and it's like... People, I think, have become more, um, I guess, secure with putting their money in like government bonds and other sort of investment spaces. So to see it coming back, it's a little bit surprising to me. Um, It's interesting. Um, But I mean, Birkenstock has been around since the 1700s. And to place your bet on a company like that, even though they've had high, um, very trendy, very popular, they're... Boston's, I guess, last year blew up. Um, obviously, those those Arizona sandals are always have been hot for years. Um, I think that's 
Mm -hmm. It feels like a a safe bet. It feels like, um, I don't know, late for them, kind of. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And Viore is so new. So anyway, it's really it's really two contrasts. I was going to say, yeah, definitely a, a contrast. Um, Birkenstock's been around for hundreds of years. Viore has been around since 2015. They're they're very new. Actually, I think I was telling you this the other day, but I remember going to a press event uh, for whatever PR company was representing them at the time a couple of years ago. And Viore was just one of like 10 brands that were being shown off in this little like spare office. Uh, and they just had, you know, a table with some sweatpants out and someone from Viore was showing them off to me by hand. And then a couple of years after that, they got $400 million fundraising from uh, SoftBank. And then a couple of years after that, they're going public. So they have had an insane rise. Um, the founder, Joe Kudla, has, we've, we've talked to him a bunch. I think he's been on the Glossy podcast before. If not, he should be because he's, he's really smart. Um, you know, he's talked about how fast they grew. They, they kind of were playing in that Lululemon sort of space. Um, which everyone always says is super competitive, and it definitely is. But I, I don't know something about them. Have you know they've managed to cut through all that? Um, yeah, that's my thought on them. Golden Goose, I also don't really have much of a, an opinion on, and it's also not as much detail kind of out there anyway. So we can yeah. just skip that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Fury. It's interesting because like, what is it about them? They obviously got this amazing funding. They're rapidly building out their C-suite with all of these highly experienced people who have, they know what they're doing. They've, they've done it. Um, but also opening a bazillion stores. They want to open 100 by 2026. They already have, um, 40, I think, um, including a 5,000 square foot store in like Soho, the, the it area. Like, is that, that's what I run. I'm like, I haven't seen it. Where is it? (laughs) I need to see it. Um, but, I, in my head, I think of them as like launching as a men's brand. And I don't know. I just think that does that have something to do yeah. with it where men active wear, like where are they going first? Do they feel comfortable shopping at Lulu? It it does have a more feminine kind of um, catering to women, even though they also sell men's mm-hmm. and have a lot of male customers. I don't know what it is. That's That's what in my head, I'm like, maybe that's the go-to for guys. I, I do think the menswear focus, um, and and you're right. I believe they launched with men specifically, but then I think they sell uh, uh, women's as well now. Um, I definitely think that's a part of it. I mean, and the other thing is, I was not paid to say this. It's not an ad. I do really like their stuff. Like I, I remember when I went to this press event. I remember really liking the sweatpants. I bought a pair, and now I have two pairs and two pairs of shorts. I think from them that I wear to the gym all the time. So like, it is good. Um, but yeah, I still think that doesn't quite account for like just how huge they've gotten. I'm not sure what, what is the appeal there. Um, but my other thought on IPOs is that I don't necessarily always think it's a good idea, or at least from what I've seen, it, it seems like, you know, sometimes brands go public and just like totally crash and burn. I I was reading about, um, this British company Deliveroo and how they went public, I think in 2021, and it was like the worst IPO in London stock trading history where they fell by like their valuation fell by like a full quarter in one day or something, which they said was a combination of like pricing the shares poorly, but also short trading and all this stuff. So it can easily backfire. Um, I think Instacart went public pretty recently and had kind of a similar, not quite as bad, but a, a similar thing where instead of their value going up, it kind of like dropped on the first day. And I don't know, I, I something, I, I get why they do it because, you know, 
your company can get bigger and bigger and you get all this stuff. But it also feels like there's a lot of drawbacks to being a public company. The process seems very volatile, but then also once you're public, you kind of are now beholden to shareholders. Every single quarter, you have to constantly have growth. I feel like I've heard from a lot of brand founders that they they want to stay private or that they preferred being a private company because they could kind of have the, the latitude to do stuff that maybe doesn't immediately bring you know, revenue growth this quarter, but is maybe better long term. And it seems like that's a little harder when you're a public company. Yeah, I agree. One that I'm really watching closely and I want to, I'll be interested to see what they decide is skims because, because you hit your 1 billion mark, you're a unicorn. That's kind of about the time that the conversations start happening. They've far exceeded that. And at the same time, I was like, my first thought was, yeah, if only because I mean it's so like silly, but like Kim's thing. I watch the, <laughs> I watch the show. She always likes to say like I want to prove people wrong. I feel like that's like a milestone or like a marker or like a goal mark for a lot of companies. Um, but at the same time, she there's talk about like her buying back her beauty brand from Cody and having that control. And so, um, I don't know. I I feel like. There's potential there, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, well, I'm also interested in seeing what other brands, like if if the IPO kind of craze continues on and we see more brands going public in the next year or so. Again, especially it seems like the pandemic years that kind of cooled off for a little bit. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, let's move to our last topic though, which is the, the news is that Coach is selling on Amazon, um, which is like maybe not the biggest thing, but I thought it was interesting. And we haven't really talked about Amazon fashion stuff that much recently, but there's like a good amount of um, interesting kind of changes they've made. Um, but so Coach uh, began selling on Amazon this week and it was very public because if you went on Amazon, there was a huge thing in the center of like the front page that was like, Coach is now on Amazon. So they made a big deal out of it. Um, but I remember years ago, talking to it was this was before Amazon launched luxury stores. I talked to a bunch of fashion designers and brands and was like, will you guys ever sell on Amazon? And so many of them were like, no, I don't want anything to do with Amazon. I don't want my stuff listed next to like toilet paper and other, you know, the kind of like Walmart or like, you know, bargain bin feeling of of Amazon. Um, But now it seems like a lot of brands are there, like a lot of big brands too. Like obviously they have luxury stores, um, which I don't think was as big a hit as they were hoping, but a lot of brands just started selling on normal Amazon, like not through the luxury stores portal. Um, what's your What's your take on that, Jill? Yeah, I was looking at luxury stores this morning. I mean, one reason is I feel like brands, we talk a lot about brands owning their presence, owning their look, feel, voice. Um, that's why a lot of them get onto Amazon to build a store and, um, coach, obviously they, they say a lot about the brand. There's a lot, you get to read about the designer and their backstory and all the things. But like, if you go out in luxury stores and you're like at the top and you're scrolling, like there are the brands that are officially on the site and then you have to kind of read the fine print. Um, there's also, uh, Chanel and Rolex, and those are pre-owned and they intersperse. There's no mm-hmm. separation there. They just intersperse them. Yeah. So it looks like, you know, they're there. Um, and I'm like, that's tricky. <laughs> they clearly want those it brands is. to come on board and take ownership. Um, but yeah, to me, I, I, we just wrote a story about coach coming to, um, 
coming to Amazon. I kind of wish that we had focused on, I'm like looking back and we can talk about it now. I feel like it's, first of all, the flock, they're really pushing this damn tabby bag, which is cute, Mm -hmm. but it's clearly what they're pushing for holiday. Uh, The 10th and 11th is Amazon Prime Day. This their oh, presence right. on the site is like very much the top three sections. It's like meet the tabby bag, explore tabby, 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 tabby. And also they're part of Amazon Prime. So it's like get it. They're on the homepage right before Prime Day. People can get it with free, I don't know, fast shipping. Like I think that there was a Prime Day plan around this. <laughs> and they yeah. we Sophia and our team wrote a story back in May about how they were on a tabby tour and going to Japan with pop-ups, dedicated pop-ups, um, ice cream trucks. Um, anyway, this was ha- all happening internationally and it's proven really popular among among Gen Z. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's the main appeal of Amazon for brands is just the scale. Um, like, you know, all those all those criticisms that the brands told me years ago about you know, Amazon is like, doesn't feel very premium and you're, you're just one of all these brands just mixed in there is still true, I think. But then just compared against the raw scale of like being an, on Amazon Prime on Prime Day, I think some brands are like, it's just worth it, you know. Um, and I also, so there's a bunch of brands, there's Ralph Lauren and Kate Spade, you mentioned Rolex and is pre-owned and stuff on there, but there's a lot of big brands that are on there now. Um, also, I saw that last, I think it was last month, uh, or maybe two months ago, Amazon called a bunch of their private label brands. They closed 27 of their 30 private label brands that this, they don't make them anymore. Uh, and the stated reason was that uh, when people buy clothes on Amazon, they either buy Amazon Basics or they buy from like a real brand, basically. So I think Amazon definitely needs those brands on there. I think a lot of those private label brands didn't take off or, or at least didn't take off to the same degree that just, you know, a Nike or Adidas or whoever does. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think Prime Day is a big draw and, you know, just the scale of it, too. Yeah. And I think they're being strategic about it. I was I was like, I wonder if JLo has a like no Amazon clause because I was comparing what's on their site versus what's on Amazon. And the whole like homepage of Coach is JLo at the very top with this like shine yeah. collection that I'm not seeing on coach uh, on Amazon. And also um, it's interesting. Amazon has, I mean, coach is more known for their ba- bags and that's a bigger category, much larger category for them, but they don't sell ready to wear on, on Amazon like they do on the site. Um, so I think they, they're taking a strategic approach. We always talk about, um, we used to talk more about brands putting their basics and using Amazon as a place for discovery for customers to, yes, find what they like or what they want and then come to the site and find more. Um, so maybe some, I think there's some of that going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. I think that's all the time we have, unless you had any other Amazon thoughts you want to share. No, that's good. No. Okay. I'm good too. Um, yeah. Well, that's all the time we have. Um, thank you so much, Jill, for doing this podcast with me. I love doing it with you every week. It's very fun. So fun. For those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
wherever you listen to this, that helps us out a lot. Uh, you should subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and we can re-episodes every Friday. And then I also want to plug uh, our sister publication, Digiday, has a, a, an ongoing podcast right now, Is This the Metaverse? One of those episodes is hosted by uh, Glossy's Zofia Zviglinska. So tune into that if you want to hear some more about fashion and Web3 stuff um, with Zofia's expertise. Uh, anyway, Jill, who's uh, who's our next guest on the Glossy Podcast? Uh, next, we have designer Charles Harvison. Oh my gosh, you guys should listen. I smiled the whole time. He is so fun and doing things so differently. And P.S., this kind of <laughs> side note, this really like brings in our whole conversation today about experiential events and Birkenstock. Mm-hmm. I literally just got a pitch that Birkenstock is hosting its first consumer event in the U.S. Um, anyway, mm. everyone's doing it. G- good timing for them. Yeah. <laughs> Hope there's right, well, not tune into... a flood. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully my car doesn't get flooded again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, tune into the Glossy Podcast to hear Charles Harbison. And once again, thanks for listening. 